0: Online training and nutrition coach and owner of James Robert Fitness. You can find more of my content by going to my website, fitamputee.co.uk. But before we get started with today's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Thomas Matthews. Thomas is a table tennis player for British para table tennis and is currently world number four and on his journey for, towards Tokyo 2020 in the class one. Among some of his major honours, he is 2015 European champion in the team class one, uh, two ta- 2017 European champion, silver medals as a single. 2017 World Team Championship bronze medalist and 2015 European Championship bronze medalist in a single class one as well. Tom was a promising mountain bike before a fatal accident while out riding with his uncle and friend in March 2009, which left him in wheelchair bound at the age of 16. So welcome onto the show, Tom.
1: Thank you. Well, Hello.
0: So before we delve into obviously today's topic... Can you kind of divulge,
1: obviously, your background in
0: mountain biking, first of all, and then how you kind of transitioned into becoming a te- table tennis player?
1: Yeah, so basically, I always used to ride push bikes when I was younger. Um, I, basically The first thing I wanted to do was uh, race motocross, yeah. but my parents wouldn't let me. They said it was too dangerous and stuff like that, so I found downhill mountain biking. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of took like a very strong passion in the sport i used to come home from college be straight out on a push bike and yeah i loved it and um yeah basically i was out riding one day practicing for a race coming up and uh it was the last run of the day ended up going over the handlebars and uh, breaking my neck which uh led to a long old road of uh just rehab in hospital and a lot of ups and downs, really. And then I got into table tennis through hospital, actually, in my rehab process. I uh, met a guy called Jim Monkley, which is sadly no longer with us. Um, he was a uh, vice president of Disabled Sport Wales. He used to come into the hospitals and try and get people involved in sport. And obviously, table tennis was probably the easier one to set up in the hospital. You can't go setting up a javelin or anything in you know, a rehab centre. So yeah, we just done a very table tennis and I instantly fell in love with it. But um, I didn't carry on the sports straight from hospital. I'd done it for about six months. And then I kind of come home, got a car, tried to get back to normality, went out with the boys, just basically getting my life back to normal. And then I think it was two years down the line, I gave him a call up and said, Jim, can I come back and give her another shot? And he was like, yeah, he was all about giving second chances. So uh, luckily enough, he got me back in. I went to my first tournament in Hungary in 2013 to get classified, and yeah, it's, the reward started from here really.
0: So, talk to me a little bit about obviously that two two year hiatus. If you look on it back on it now, yeah, do you wish you could have done it slightly different and maybe started that course as a, as an athlete a little bit earlier?
1: With a table tennis you mean? Mm-hmm. yeah, I I kind of wish I carried on, but. Um, I think mentally I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have been totally in the game. I needed to have that break away from it and get my life back to normal, normal really. I was 16 when I had my accident and trying to go straight back into another sport I think would have been very difficult not having that little bit of life outside of it first and just getting back to the normal way of life, really.
0: And obviously... Oh, we talk about it from the, the, the probably the life circumstance now. What kinda of impact did that have on your education?
1: Uh my education I I'd finished uh school. So I had gone into college, I was uh studying carpentry. Uh, my father was a carpenter and that's what I wanted to kinda of do and take over the business really. Um I finished my first year in carpentry, luckily. I'd finished most of the course by the time I had my accident, so I was able to sit my exam when I was in hospital, luckily, and I passed that, so I passed my first year of carpentry, I always held on to that bit of hope, because you never know after a spinal injury what will come back, if you will walk again or not, Uh, my my father did tell me, the doctor told him that I will never walk again, uh, which was quite hard to take at 16, but I, I always held on to have a little bit of hope, so I finished my course just in case I could get back up on my feet and carry on the life I was doing before, really.
0: But now, but now obviously, what we now, uh, what was it, about nine years down the line, ten? Yeah, nine
1: years ago. <sighs> Would you,
0: Could you ever see yourself doing that as a job compared to the lifestyle of an athlete?
1: Um, it's, it's hard to say because I was a promising mountain biker. Maybe I could have gone somewhere in that, but obviously I'll never know. Um, I, To be honest, now I wouldn't change my uh, life of the world. I, I absolutely love traveling and doing what I do, to be honest. I've, I do a lot more now than I would have doing if I did still on my feet, really. I, I'd be doing a nine to five, working... <laughs> Day in, day out, and just just getting by, I guess. But whereas now, I get to travel the world and enjoy every little bit of it.
0: Now, let me pose this difficult question to now. We spoke a bit a little bit off air about it. Yeah. Obviously, we've got the Commonwealth Games going on at the present moment, and yeah. we were saying your class, classification isn't one of those competing. Yeah. What kind of position does that put you in from a mental perspective?
1: a uh, mental perspective is. It's gutting, but because it's not already in there, it's, it's kind of, you accept it and move on. The main goal for us as athletes now is the Paralympic Games. So I think that's, having that as the main focus really helps, just having to focus on something else. Um, I guess if you was focusing on Commonwealth Games and really looking forward to it, and then you get told that the classification isn't in there, then it's probably harder to take but you've always got a different goal so that I think that's what makes it easier having a different goal really
0: but if we kind of put in the context context there a little bit tom for the obviously the, the listeners that don't know the complexity of how they go about picking uh, the classifications that they do can you divulge some of that information
1: um yeah i think i think um basically they've selected 6 to 10 uh standing disabled so yeah there was no wheelchair event for us even in the higher classes in wheelchairs because wheelchairs go class one to five which is the class one is the lowest which i am and then there's class five where they can maybe walk a little bit but it got full control over the trunk and everything um yeah, I'm not too sure why they picked the higher classes and why they haven't really brought out the wheelchairs as well. Because I think it'd be good to showcase the lower classes and lower disabilities in, I think, in every sport really, um, not just table tennis. But it's the horse country's selection, and that's what we got to go with. So we can't really do anything about it.
0: And if we come at, from this a different angle now, and this is probably I could probably answer the question as well. Obviously, as a proud Welsh, per, uh, Welsh person, would you like to have that opportunity to c- compete at the Commonwealth Games? Obviously, for the majority of sports or sportsmen and women, they don't yeah. always get the opportunity to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I'd love to represent Wales. Um, I think any Welshman or even Englishman, Scottishman, I think you all actually want to represent. Yeah, actual country. Obviously, we are GB, but representing Wales, England, or whatever you are, I think is the pinnacle. I, and I'd love to in my career. Hopefully, it comes along one day and I can do that. But right now, it's not possible.
0: Well, I hope that I hope that comes in reality because that's the only thing of my sport in c v that's missing. So it's hopefully that that happens for you, for me. Yeah, that's probably I won't say it hurts, but it's. I was going to say, how would you take it? How, it's probably where this one is, I'm probably, how would I word it? Uh, envious, a little bit jealous, yeah. because I will never get, I won't say I'll never get the opportunity, unless unless I go into the capacity of um, maybe like staff member going out, that's the only opportunity I'm ever going to get. So it's, they seem to be, if you put them in comparison to say the Paralympic games, yeah, the ones that are coming on every net. Well, what we had? we've had? you've got the Gold Coast, uh, or some of the other, Delhi. Yeah. Uh, where else? Uh, Melbourne. Obviously, Glasgow is not very luxurious, but I apologize to the Scots <laughs> listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, seems to come around you're more likely to have that exotic location okay i didn't compete in rio but okay the next one be it tokyo it is luxurious but from di- a different perspective obviously more i would say the technology side of things it makes it that much yeah, okay, that's cult- exciting
1: the culture is a little bit different in it compared to like australia and melbourne delhi and stuff like that They're- the cultures are totally different, I guess.
0: But obviously, yeah, you would you would probably agree that it's it's. I think it's. I think it brings it home. Obviously, if we come down a stage and when we're competing domestically, you I, I wouldn't say you have a little bit more hunger to get one over on the opposition. But it, it, that I think from because you compete in a, a team environment, maybe so because you do get that opportunity a little bit, I I assume, to yeah. re- represent Wales a little bit more.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think the rivalry between England, Wales and all that stuff, where it just makes it that little bit more. And the, the low end, you pro- you'll probably come across some of the guys at the evening team GB, which you know, but just having that little bit of rivalry just between teams is sometimes a good rivalry just to have.
0: Well, I would debate that, but would you put that down to, and this is my own personal opinion now, would you think that rivalry stems from, not resentment, but because of the media concentrating, concentrating so much on the English?
1: Um. Yeah, I think the media do kind of big it up a little bit too much, like with the football, with the rugby stuff like that, they do big it up quite a bit, but... At the end of the day, is it is what it is. Like the, I think the rivalry's been there for years and years. So it's not it's not just the media. It's it's a rivalry. I think a lot of people are brought up on these days.
0: You might definitely agree with. Well, you could say there that they well maybe a little bit less in South Wales, but in North Wales, you could call them the invaders to some extent. They <laughs> seem to take over the holiday resorts and make it, make it their own. So you don't, well, especially where I live, you won't hear Welsh well, or it'd be very rarely. Or, yeah, unless yeah. unless you hear it in schools and that's about it. But it's probably, the, well, it's the same in South Wales to a certain extent, but you will hear Welsh yeah. I a little bit more. Yeah. And obviously with Tokyo 2020, on the horizon. What are kind of some of the things that you've got to look forward well we'll say right now in this present moment with this season going forward?
1: Um well my next competition now is Slovenia, which is in May. I think it's about six, seven weeks away. So that's like another step stone for me this year though, because we got the World Championships in October, which is also in Slovenia. So the competitions at the moment is just seeing where we are really for the world because obviously the little tournaments are important to us The these tournaments but the worlds the europeans the paralympics they're the main ones which we set targets at and that's where we want to get our medals at um so yeah we use them as a step in store and just see where we're at um obviously italy just passed and i weren't really going to go for a medal out there i was just looking to see where i was and done really well so i can't really complain about that um hopefully now I can take it out into Slovenia and keep going throughout the season and, uh, yeah, do well at the Worlds. I think that's the next step in the storm for me.
0: Tom, you mentioned that tournament in Italy. Is it that the same one? And hopefully I don't destroy Paul's surname now. Robert, is that the one that you guys got stuck out there because of the weather in the UK?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. the snow uh, kind of us out there. and um, Yeah, it was mad that was because we booked, we had the flight the next day and obviously it's not a bad place to get stuck Venice. But uh, we woke up the next morning and we opened the curtain and it was snowing in Venice. We were like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> when are we actually going to get home from this place? But uh, luckily it cleared up and we ended up coming home. Although,
0: so. oh, you put it in perspective, you probably had more snow in the valleys than probably Venice, I, I would expect.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. It was was quite a lot of snow up here, but um, it cleared up quite quickly as well because it rained, I think, the next day or the day after. It cleared up quite quickly, so I was quite lucky with that as well. Obviously, getting home, uh, getting to Bristol was fine, but getting up to the valleys is a bit different. The snow gets a bit thicker and a bit deeper, so, yeah, I was quite lucky with that, really.
0: And then coming from that respect, this is a little bit sidetracking now. Obviously, as a wheelchair user... What kind of predicament does that put you at being able to get out to obviously go train? If it's okay, we're not talking. This doesn't happen every single day. We'll say with the Scandinavian countries and the they like to have a go at us for. But when it does happen, what impact does that have on your training?
1: Um, quite a bit actually, because you can't really get out if if it's deep snow. You're not going anyway. Um. We'd normally play it as it is, see how the weather is in the mornings. Um, if it, if we can see it's bad, we won't even attempt it because it's just too risky in a wheelchair. Obviously, getting out of the car, you slip, you're on the floor, it's it's difficult. It's not worth the risk. So there's it, a big impact on the training because if it snows, you're basically not training. You've got to do your workouts and stuff in the house, um, which ain't ideal because you want to get on the table, you want to play with tail That's where your main goal is but also doing the weights and stuff and just doing a bit of cardio helps but obviously it does affect training massively
0: and if we come at it from this perspective now do you think and this is your own opinion now you can say whatever you want yeah would you say Paralympic badminton is harder than it's It's well we'll, say, we'll call it it's cousin with the a- AB with the AB table tennis
1: the badminton no, no, no. not badminton table oh. tennis sorry Oh, table tennis, table tennis. Um, I think the standard's pretty high in, like, yeah, I'd say on par. Like, the lower classes, like my class, we wouldn't stand a chance against, like, able-bodied people. Um, class five is wheelchairs. They've got a bit of a chance. They do play in able-bodied leagues. Um, and then that's the same up six to ten, really. They still play in able-bodied leagues. Um... Class 10 are near enough the same level as an able bodied player, so they have like really minimal disabilities. Is um, you'll notice the disability, but you'll be like, they can play against the able bodied and give them problems. So, yeah, I'd say they're pretty much on par.
0: But now, if we look at it from this respect, if you put some restrictions on the able bodied player, yeah, and made them say, well in a static chair, do you think you could beat them? 100%. 100%. <laughs> it's so it
1: is so much different playing from a chair. Ask any like wheelchair table tennis player, it's so much different. You put someone in, a, an able body player down in a chair, and like, nine times out of ten, they can't serve because the height difference. And it's just so much quicker because your reaction's got to be a lot quicker on the table. It's like when you're standing up, you can come back off the table a little bit, react a bit slower. When you're on a chair, you're literally at the table. So you got to be at the bounce. you got to be day and ready. So it's, it's a lot more difficult than a lot of people think. I, I'd like to see a few able body athletes come down and sit in a chair and give us guys a go.
0: I'd probably... Oh, you know, got to film it as well.
1: Though. Oh, yeah. you <laughs> got to film it. There yeah. we go. We gotta exploit them and put them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. Just show the world that how hard it actually is.
0: Would you think you you'd have any international standard players be up for that kind of? You could call it humiliation to some extent.
1: Um, I, I think they'd definitely be up for it. I think some of them might be quite good at it. As soon as they get the serving and the timing right. They would give us a challenge. I'm not gonna say we'd beat them easily because we do it every day. They, if they're professional, they, they know how to adjust to certain things again. But they will find it difficult. It's not an easy game sitting down.
0: And if we kind of take a step back now, Tom, and and right. kind of touch upon obviously the serve and how we call it the timing of obviously the the, the the everything that comes with it. Yeah, and we put it onto you specifically. How frustrating and how long did it take you start, when you first started out to kind of overcome that?
1: Um, oh, it, it takes a while. Like, it it took me about a year to probably get the strokes kind of right. I, I'm i still learning now, even day by day, like, different serves, different, different aspects of the game, different timing and everything. It's still a learning curve. Every day you learn something new. Um... But to get the basics right, I think it took me easily a year easily a year just to be able to serve um and just get the strokes right even just to compete to the a decent level. It took me a, easily a year to get you to.
0: and we talk about obviously some of the components within rule rule changes that will you you'd associate with a b table yep. tennis as opposed to your classification now. Yeah. Obviously there's gonna be limitations within that. Can you kinda of explain some of those technicalities?
1: Yeah, the only difference um between being in a wheelchair class, um because the standing is exactly the same as able body, there's no changes. The only difference is if you're in a wheelchair, the ends of the tables, so the corner of the tables, you've gotta serve off the end of them. You can't just serve off the side of the table. It's Gora come off the end, so it gives us a little bit of a fighting chance. But apart from that, there is no rule change.
0: So you can virtually, literally, yeah, uh, trying to get my words out now. You could virtually uh, put backspin on and it just go over the net. You...
1: Yeah, yeah, as long, like, there's um, shots called, like, um, the up and under where if someone serves to your middle and you just put it up and it lands over the net, is you your point? It doesn't matter how you get that ball back if it's wide off the side. it's your point? The only difference is the serve is going to come off the end, and put, after that it's whoever's cleverer, I guess, and whoever can keep the ball on. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: but how frustrating and mentally draining is that when you can't? You've got no chance in hell of actually getting, being able to return that to kind of shot.
1: It's very frustrating. Um, I used to get really angry, really, really frustrated. Like, I, I've i been close enough to snapping bats and just <laughs> put my bat on the table and just rolling off, really. But, yeah, you learn to deal with it. Um, Obviously, we sit a lot higher in our table tennis chairs compared to our everyday chairs. So, you have got a fighting chance of reaching it. But if it's too good, no one's getting it. Like, you, you just kind of go out applaud her and just carry on and just be, I guess, mentally tough. That just, you got to accept it and go point by point. Because if you get up about it and try and go a little bit harder, it just don't work out and then you end up losing the match, really.
0: And obviously, you talk about the height, the chair being higher. Yeah. What kind of wingspan have you got to be able to reach from the end of the table towards the net?
1: Well, I'm quite lucky. I'm six for three, so my wingspan's quite long. Um, I know there's some shorter guys and they sit higher again and um, some people get longer bats. and There's literally loads of ways to try and get it. But uh, like I said, if they're short enough, you're not getting it. And you just got to upload it, really.
0: But you talk talking about longer bats. Isn't that cheating?
1: No, it's not. There's not a rule. Yeah, as long as the rubber actually covers the blade there's no cheating you can have a bat i've seen bats that look like frying pans <laughs> uh, i don't know how they play with them but yeah as long as the um rubber, rubber, rubber is there, it's fine
0: you gotta send me a picture of that
1: one of those <laughs> no a picture of a like a bigger bat than the ones that some of the class ones actually use compared to a normal blade and you'll just be like wow <laughs> but is that is that to compensate solely for the
0: disability now? Or um, is it yeah, them playing yeah. b- within the grey area?
1: Um I'd say probably to do with a disability and maybe the wingspan. If they're not not at all as a guy, sometimes they will go for a bigger bat because it just gives them that little bit more of an advantage to try and reach it. Uh, but yeah, it's each their own. Like I found if me trying to use a bigger bat wouldn't really good for me because uh, cause my wrist ain't that strong. I couldn't really get the strokes right and stuff like that and I used to get get tied up a lot so it didn't even bother me. I just went back to using a normal blade and luckily I'm tall enough to reach the ball. But uh, yeah, some guys use quite big blades to be fair.
0: I'm quite, I'm quite surprised by that. I would have thought there would be a standard, I won't say standard, but a standard issue type of equipment that it has to be between these certain guidelines
1: yeah i know what you're saying you you think it'd just be a standard blade size or like a certain size that you can only have but at the moment there is no rule to the size of the blade as long as the rubber covers it so it is what it is you gotta fit up with it and just get on with it really
0: so, so there's a lot of custom custom made equipment out there
1: yeah there, there is a. is it's got to be ittf approved but apart from that there's a lot of custom blades out there i've seen some shaped as like a point so it's not fully round it's like a point don't know why but yeah but uh, so there's some custom things out there and, uh, but,
0: you, but you wouldn't think that would be um i wouldn't say log- logical because it's not got as much surface area to to be able to hit with
1: Exactly, that's exactly what I think. Where some people use them and they do really well, so I think it's own preference. Is if you get on with it, you just play with that blade, and just as long as you're all happy, I guess that's what they do. And
0: now that uh, we look at it from a, a ranking position, yeah, and you divulge to the listeners who are the other three players above you currently?
1: Uh, the first one is Zhu from Korea which he had a silver in the Paralympic Games. Um, And then number two is Rob Davis from Brecon, um, which is also from GB. He won the Paralympic Games in Rio. And then there is Nam Kiwon, and he's from Korea also. Um, Luckily in it, Well, not luckily. I beat him in Italy. So I'll take that one. He was a bronze medalist in Rio also. And then there's me, so...
0: Uh, but then does it help being able to tra- train alongside Rob as well, then?
1: Yeah, it does help. Um, obviously, his experience and his shots, obviously, kind of got to look for his weakness. And he probably does the same for me. Is is that little bit of rivalry when we're on the table together. you got to try to suss each other out. But then we do come together for the team event. Um, also, we got Paul Davis on our side as well, which is number six or seven in the world i think so we got a really strong team in class one um to come against the koreans and stuff like that so but yeah we we just try to like try and work each other out and then if obviously we're against the koreans and we've seen a weakness we'll try and help each other out in that aspect as well because obviously we are a team
0: and then obviously going forward now now tom where are the Chinese in your event? Obviously, they they come out, on, if we talk of it in the grand scheme of things within Paralympic sport, they yeah. come out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, they do come out of nowhere. And it's funny you say that because I think the end of last year, three Chinese players got classified. And we haven't seen them yet, but I'm sure they're going to be to a standard because I know it Chinese, does, it's their national sport table tennis and they're really good at it. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go, um, when they do come along. But at the moment, it's kind of Korea and GB at the kind of ruling class ones. So it's, it's good for us and just got to take them Koreans out and get us at the top.
0: And obviously, to put it in perspective to obviously uh, the listeners now... What Tom's talking about is obviously the Chinese are, well, would you say well-known for, they'll get classified, do one event, maybe two, disappear for a few years, and then turn up in the Paralympics.
1: Yeah, well, you've got to meet the criteria for the Paralympics anyway, so you've got to do a number of tournaments to get your accreditations to go to a Paralympic Games, and you've got to be a certain high ranking, so... We'll definitely see them before our Paralympic the games. They're not just going to turn up and shock the world. So, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they like because obviously I said, the China is the national sport and they, everybody, the next to nothing like they what the the best team in the world really. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see them come along and see what they got really.
0: But it's it's a difficult one from a, I'd say from a mindset perspective as the athlete because. You see them at one point; they're at certain standards. Don't see them for a while, and they've made this massive improvement.
1: Yeah, I, I guess it's just, yeah. I guess it's the same for all of us, though. Even like we done the Europeans in October last year, and we hadn't seen any of the players now until we played them in March. So it's that little bit of a gap, and you never know what people are working on. Obviously, they all work on their weaknesses. So you exploit one weakness, one tournament, and the next time it might not be there. So it's like, you're, you're always changing. You're always coming up against a different opponent. Every time you play that opponent, they're a different person. They've been working on something that you don't know about. And obviously, you've been working on the stuff you, you've been doing in training. So you, you just got to put on what you've worked on, really. you just got to go into a match and just try and exploit everything that you've been working on
0: and you brought up a good point that Tom in terms of training
1: how how much variation does your
0: training differ now from the a b's do you do more or does uh, it depend, depend on circumstances
1: i wouldn't say we do more than a b um i'd say we do a lot of hours we do about i think it's two hours in the morning and then two hours in the afternoon every day, basically, except for a Wednesday and a Friday, so we'll just do two hours. But, um, so that's a lot of hours. I think it works out about 36 hours or something like that. But it's all um, quality over quantity with the wheelchairs and, like, the disabled, because, obviously, we've got limitations. Our muscles tire a lot quicker sometimes than an A, B person would. Um, So you've got to be really careful. Like, I used to push myself a bit too hard, and when was going into the gym straight after and just trying to push it a little bit extra but then i damaged my shoulder for doing that so I, now i've learned to be a little bit more careful and actually listen and do my stretches and stuff and yeah you you kind of learn but yeah we i'd say we're on par with the able body but we're just a bit more clever the way we train because obviously the disability affects our muscles differently
0: Ah, so you're very much similar to me as an athlete, not doing not doing the stretches. That, yeah, that's yeah. quite interesting. That.
1: Yeah, I kind of did that, and um, my physios was like, "Oh, come on, like do the stretches. You'll be all right." And I was just like, "Ah, i wonder the stretches. I'll just turn up and just play." But yeah, I've learned my lesson the odd way, and now every day I'll do my stretches before going on the table, and I'll make sure I do a part of my routine before even going to a competition now. So.
0: Do you, and do you think coming back to the point with overdoing it? Do you think it was uh, coming down to delayed muscle onset soreness, or do you think it was m- more because obviously being a wheelchair user as well, you're putting yeah. that much. Uh, let's see if I get it right. Load and obviously demand on your shoulders day to day. Anyway, do you just yeah. think it came down to a bit of naivety?
1: uh naivety i think i think it was just too much for my shoulders to take um i, I was literally pushing it to the limit in training and then pushing it to the limit in the gym and i was coming home i had nothing left really so when i was trying to get in and out of my car it was just a little bit of a strain and i think the more i was doing it the worse it was getting and i was just like oh it's just, just aches and pains from the gym it's it's nothing i it just push away, you'll be alright. And then in the end, it, it became a real struggle to just transfer into my chair and everything, so I was like, right, you've done something new. And when I went to the physio, it was my shoulder, it was just full of knots, and they were like, yeah, you've kind of not stretched and just gone a bit too hard, really.
0: <laughs> but then, put it into perspective, it's not too bad a place where you train, because everything is on site. If you, well, you don't want to be injured, but if the yeah. worst case scenario did arise.
1: Yeah, if the worst case scenario arrives, you have got physios and that. but then it, that was kind of down to my my own fault as well for not doing my stretches and stuff, really. It's it's such a massive thing for us in chase just to be loose and flexible, I guess. Um, as soon as you tighten up, it's, a, it's always going to be a struggle. Um but yeah, I, I'll take it on my own back and say it was my own fault. And yeah, just get on with it now, really.
0: And then to put it into perspective for other people, yeah. how long are we talking about in terms of years until you've changed that kind of mindset? Well, I'll do as I'm told.
1: Um, it took me probably two years, maybe. <laughs> it it, it wasn't an easy cycle to get me to change. Um, but after my shoulder Shoulder injury and it kind of knocked me a little bit. I was just I started listening and just thought, "Come on, you got you got to start doing your stretches." Because you can always go back to a physio and they'll loosen it off and do the same thing day in day out. But that's what I was doing before, and I was in there probably twice a week. Where now I can go two or three weeks and it's fine. (laughs) Obviously, it still tightens up a little bit, and I like to get it loosened off just to make sure. But it's a lot more training these days and I can go through sessions with with ease without being in pain, really.
0: And do you think probably word advice for anybody listening, be it from be it table tennis or from any sport, is yeah. to probably take the onus on yourself with things that involve um, stretching, uh, what else would it be? Obviously, t- listening to your body as opposed yeah. to passing the buck to somebody else.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think stretches are massively important, but stretches to your specific outset, I guess. Like, you don't want to be stretching your toes if you're not going to be using that. You need to stretch the right muscles for what you're going to do. Um, and you got to take ownership of that. you got to take ownership of your own program or whatever you're going to do, really. Um, but, yeah, just take ownership of your stretches and just do what you got to do. What, and listen to the physios basically, because <laughs> they know what they're talking about.
0: Um, yeah, they know the body, but then you you know what's happening inside of you to, yeah, to some degree.
1: Yeah, I guess you got yeah. Like I didn't really answer the question either about listening to your body. You, you have got to listen to your body if you if you're training and yeah, sometimes you got a push through. But if you can feel a niggle and you feel like, oh, that don't feel right, don't try and push away. Just stop and then go and, go and get it checked out because the last thing you want to do is push through that pain and make it any worse. Just make sure you listen to your body when it's telling you you're tired or you're in pain. you got to stop. Get it checked out.
0: And I'm going to come at you from a different uh, perspective now. I uh, obviously went and looked on the British t- uh, back Para Table Tennis website now. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it was your top five, I can't remember how they worded it, but obviously your top five. Um, okay, if I come up you with this one, why is Shane Williams your most admired sportsman?
1: Shane Williams, always growing up, um, I used to love his ass athleticism on the rugby field. Um, I always looked up to him. I did play a bit of rugby when I was younger for the schools and day. Um, Yeah, I just really looked up to him. He, the way he just could read around the pitch and just the way he saw things, it was just it, kind of inspiring to see, really, uh, as a Welshman. And to be told at a young age that you won't make it because you're too short, you're too small, you're not... You're basically not going to make it, and for him to defy, defy everyone and score the most tries for Wales, it just speaks volumes in itself. I reckon.
0: Well, I think I think you've probably got a step further there, Tom, and say more towards the latter years of his career. He yeah. definitely goes against the mould that they were looking for. He's short. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, he's 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 not small in 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 the case of his stature. I, I, I'm, well, you're in a chair, but I'm taller, I'm taller than him, but yeah. he stacks muscular-wise. Yeah.
1: yeah, he's a, he's a beast, like, but, he just, I don't know, just, the way he goes about his half, he was just, like, it take three or four bigger guys to take him down to a rugby field, but that was just from his athleticism, and just, the way he worked, just worked for him, and, yeah, can't praise him enough, really,
0: and then my next one is probably capping back to our earlier conversation about the Gold Coast. You yeah. said the place you, in the uh, place in the world you'd most like to visit is Australia.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. So kind of to kind of <laughs> put it from that perspective now, because you said because of the beaches.
1: Yeah.
0: How does that make you feel? Because would it being on the Gold Coast? Okay, it's yeah. got tropical climate uh i think it did have a cycle on at one point that was looking like it was going to hit it uh but from that essence to be able to combine something that was a big goal of yours
1: to visit
0: okay. and yeah. to be able to compete there as well would that kind of been a bonus
1: oh yeah 100% bonus um but like like i said it, it is what it is you just gotta take it on the chin and just Basically, brush it off, but yeah, it's got in because obviously it is a place I really want to visit, and I could have gone out there and watched the Commonwealth. But obviously, I'm training for the next tournament, so it's got in, but just gotta brush it off and get on with it, really.
0: Well, some people will say, and somebody said this me the other day, is putting your priorities right. Obviously, yeah. uh, the long the long game now is Tokyo, which is. Yeah not that far away
1: oh it's not that's this, when you're in the cycle it comes around really quickly that four years goes really quickly so yeah like i said it's prioritizing Is do i go out there for all day or do i stay home train hard and improve my world rank and improve my table tennis really?
0: and if i come at it from that perspective now tom you raise holiday Yeah. Do you actually? Because I I talked to Ryan Jenkins, who is the Welsh coach for the ABs, and probably you know quite well. Yeah. Um. He said there's virtually no off season for the ABs. Would that be the same for you guys?
1: Yeah, there's not really an off season for us either. We train basically all year round. Um. The only time we get off is basically we get two weeks off in the summer, um, when there's not many tournaments around for us. So we we get that two weeks off. And then we get two weeks off for Christmas, so that's all we get off all year, really. And that's when we going to take our holidays, because obviously the other times we're training, so it's quite difficult. But it is the sacrifices you gotta make.
0: Well, that's not too bad—two weeks off for Christmas. That's—I yeah. bet you the sports would love to jump at like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I bet. But, uh, yeah, I'll take that any day, definitely.
0: Especially at Christmas, I, I think. Yeah. I think some sportsmen talk about. Uh, and I think it's, uh, David Weir is a big, uh, proponent of that, of obviously training Christmas Day. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's talk or, I, 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 well, results speak for themselves. So there's probably some truth into it, but yeah. I've always said, well, I, I should do it as well, but it's, wow, well, it, it's, 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 it's maybe why I didn't hit, hit the heights of sport. But we'll never know. So I, I, I'll let. I'll not let it. I'll not let. I'll not dwell upon it and not let yeah. it eat me up. But it, it may have done. But it's, it's gone. It's, it's in the past. Well, it's, it's, it's past history. But it, it's. I think that's from a mental perspective. Now I think that tool that you do use to say, well, if I don't do, we won't, we won't say Christmas Day, but say you're having a, a rough rough day or you don't want to get up in the morning to train you kind of and i probably probably tested this 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 uh um comment as well you kind of you visualize somebody else training where be a rival or anywhere in the world well if i don't get up he's got one up on me
1: yeah yeah you always think of things like i think oh yeah this is always someone else training so you that's what basically makes you get up. You gotta have that positive mindset of thinking, right? You gotta get up and train because someone else in the world is training. Do you want them to overtake you, or do you want to keep raising them to the top, really?
0: But then, if we take it home a bit, there, Tom, does it help that you've got somebody? We'll say two athletes in the top ten in yeah. the UK. Does that kind of make it a little bit easier because they're both in the time? They're in the same time zone.
1: Yeah, it, it does make it easier, and we train basically in the same place. But obviously, I want to beat them too, so it's it's that healthy rivalry between us. But we all want to be the number one in the world, so we all get up. We all want to just better ourselves. So yeah.
0: But then deep down, and I know the other two can't answer this question now. Yeah, is there a little bit of subconscious thinking? Oh, I wish he doesn't turn up today.
1: Um, no, not really, because the the two other guys have been playing a lot longer than me, so from their experience, I know they can come back into a training hall and play just as good as they did when they've had a little bit of time off. So, uh, no, it's, it's nothing like that, really. It's just I know I'm working harder on them if they don't turn up.
0: <laughs> but or, or would you look at it from this point of view, is it better for them to be obviously not having that time off and it obviously makes you a better player because you're getting that court uh, court time not court time but table time that you're talking about
1: yeah it's it's obviously always good to train against them um, because it's not the experience but we can push each other where I might be weak in one place they might be stronger in another place so you can kind of watch what they do or just learn little bits learn little tips and yeah, it it does help having them in a training hall, and obviously, like you said, we there's three of us in the top ten, training in the same pace, basically. So there's a yeah, it's healthy, it's really healthy.
0: And then obviously the final one that I've pinched is you summarize yourself into three words. Yeah. Obviously, as determined, friendly, and positive. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about why you describe yourself as determined.
1: Determ- well, I think I've always been determined in whatever I do. I try and do my best at. Um, but I think I shone through mostly when I had my accent. They told me that I wouldn't be able to push a car, the corridor. I wouldn't be independent. So I was determined to come out today, making sure I could push a corridor. And I weren't independent at the time when I actually left hospital. I had a carer for two years, and then the carer finish because he wanted more money um, for his family which was understandable at the time Uh, he was getting close to Christmas and stuff so he weren't really doing much for me at the time either so I just I can remember sitting down with my parents and just having a chat and saying look i need to have a go here on my own and see if I can do it and ever since I've been independent and travel the world independently so I I am a determined character and I will try my best for anything I do.
0: And obviously listening to you talk there Tom is is very much Positive in nature. Yeah, is there any time that you've kind of had that go between being l- looking at things in a too much of a positive light, as opposed to oh, people could say this is pessimistic, and it's probably I do look at this this way sometimes, and looking at the worst case scenarios or or what ifs. Or I think I think it's I think it's perceived as being pessimistic, maybe in the general populace, but I think. Maybe as an athlete, it's maybe looking at re- more of the realist. You're you're looking at every avenue to some degree.
1: What what do you mean by that? As in being, it would be
0: termed pessimistic, but you're looking at things, maybe in light of what could go, what possibly could go wrong. You're looking at every
1: every aspect, like right.
0: every aspect, and every plan. Well I think sport you got to, you can't win with plan A all the time anyway.
1: No, no, you gotta have a plan A, B, and sometimes a C. Um Yeah, I guess so. I think I think sport helps the positivity. I think having that goal. Having having certain goals helps to be positive. Um But like you said, like I have my down days anyway. Like everyone has a down day. Um but it's just having that positivity to get out of it, just not like I think I who do I speak to? I think it was I was speaking to my psychologist Tim and he said you can't be in control of everything. Like you can't there's some things you can't control. You just you just gotta get on with it. Like you can't get on a plane and you're not in control of that plane. So
0: no, it's it, the pilot. Yeah
1: definitely <laughs> You can't, you're not in control of everything, so don't over-analyse everything. you you got to have a bit of leeway here and there. And I think that, that helped me to be just a bit more relaxed to myself and just not enjoy my life a bit more, but just not overthink too many things.
0: Do you think, from that essence, that you were looking at over-analyzing
1: every aspect of
0: table tennis then, what what the proponent is doing and things yeah, like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the problem I had, I was like a perfectionist. Like, I wanted to get every ball on the table, which ain't realistic. You, you're you going to miss a shot once in a while. Um, uh, what I used to do when I used to miss, I used to get, like, worked up and try and hit it a little bit harder. Or, and I used to build up, there's like a little fire inside of me, and it becomes that becomes hot and hardy, become a volcano and just erupt in the end and you just start losing the plot. Um, so yeah, I think that helped massively with me just to be a bit, bit calmer on the table and just accept that you're going to make mistakes and then you, yeah, you just, you are going to make mistakes really. But then I think you raised a good
0: point there, obviously building up and becoming a volcano. Yeah. Do you think early on in your career that caused you to have disciplinary problems in the sport.
1: Yeah, 100 percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Um, shouting out, <laughs> I, I, I have swore on the table. Luckily, I've never been like picked up by an umpire for it. But I, I have swore and done stupid things like that. But like now, I'm a lot more in control of my emotions. I kind of know what I gotta do, um, and that's thanks to Tim Pitt and stuff like that. My psychologist who like sitting down with me and talking for a while. but it is frustrating. It is a frustrating sport. Like I said, the up and under shots and stuff where you can't reach it sometimes, it's going kind to of frustrate you It's going to get under your skin, but you you got to learn to deal with it, I guess, and learn that you're not going to get everything back. You are going to lose a point, and you've got to take it point by point. But to
0: obviously be able to calm yourself down, yeah, it's a lot easier for the higher class uh, players and and the Bs because they can walk away from the table or, or say wheel away. Yeah. How do say the class ones to say five be able to how would I put this get themselves back into control?
1: Um, you can always call a timeout, but you only get one of them matched, so that's a risky business. Like normally, the coach will call the timeout to you if it's, it's, they see you like a bit not concentrating or something like that. Um, What I do personally, I just push back off the table for a few seconds, have a deep breath, reset and go back in. Um, Some people lean on the table, stretch out. Um, Some people adjust their foot straps. It's all little things. Like some people got their different ways of doing it. Um, But my way is just rolling back off the table, sometimes taking a deep breath and just going back in really.
0: That's quite interesting. But then... Obviously, from the disciplinary thing, is there some degree of that grey air that we talked about earlier, obviously, of between trying to calm yourself down and pushing that boundary to, like, get that time delay or something like that?
1: Um, There is a thing called continuous play where the umpire can, say, "Right, come back in, like, come on, basically. You're taking the mick because you're, like, I I had a, I did get called up in the Europeans in 2015 where it was every point I was pushing back off the table to and they was just like they were like come on basically um but I've learned now I don't have to do that every time it's only when I can feel myself getting really angry I'll just push back or now I will just take a deep breath and really reset I know how to reset myself at the table now um, where before I didn't I, I was pushing back every time and it was kind of taking the mic a little bit and the umpires got a, bit, got a bit under their skin I think and they were just like basically continuous play come on you gotta keep playing basically so yeah
0: and now my final question Tom for you before we wrap up the episode today if you had to summarise what we've been speaking about today into fo- into one sentence for people to take away what would that be
1: Um. Ooh, that's a good that's a good question. Um, (laughs) summarize everything. I think. um, (laughs) Hmm. You put me on the spot, Bear. I think. I think just be positive, be lenient with yourself at the same time. Just make sure, like, you're gonna make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes in life. You just just see the positive outcome of things and make yourself goals because that does help with the positive mindset. Um, uh, yeah, just that's what I'd say. Just be positive about things and just remember you're gonna make mistakes, but you can either like solve that mistake or just let it go. Just don't don't beat yourself up too hard about things that you can't control either.
0: So once again, Tom, thanks for your time and, and thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast.
1: Thanks for having me and thank you very much.
0: It's been my pleasure. Cheers. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it would be more visible in the future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game.